the living stone and a chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders reject has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, possession, <clears throat> that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such, such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's nice to uh, be back. Uh, my apologies for being stuck in uh, lockdown, um, but uh, thank you for your patience in watching a video one week, and also thank you to Jacob for uh, taking the sermon last week at short notice. Um, but we're looking at that passage that we just read this morning, and let's ask God for his blessing on that uh, word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we are such needy people. Lord, because everything that we have and everything that we are and everything that we do, every breath that we take, comes from your hand. And so, Lord, we pray that you would teach us not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Lord, we need your resurrection power to awaken our hearts, to teach us your truths and to change our lives so that we can live for you and love you with all our heart. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I uh, don't know about you, but I love to watch the progress of major construction works. Uh, I remember when I was living in Geelong, uh, while I was living there, they were building the Geelong Ring Road, and part of that was just sort of really out the front drive of where I was living, you sort of up the road a little bit, a few hundred metres up the road, they were scraping away entire mountainsides uh, in order to build this road and to build a bridge uh, and so on. And uh, most days I would sort of, once all our classes had finished, I'd go out and I'd just watch the trucks, the scrapers and the, and the bulldozers and whatever else that were uh, going up and down and just marvel at this progress that they were making in building this road. Uh, and it was amazing to see over, it must have been a year and a half, possibly more, it was amazing to see the transformation of what had been a paddock uh, into a, a major road. The passage that we're looking at today is about another building project uh, and this one is the building project that God has in mind and the building project that God has in mind is not 
a major ring road, but it is his church. It's the people that he's called out of the world through the proclamation of the gospel, through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, called out of the world uh, uh, and saved through Jesus. It's the building of those people into his church, uh, his own children. And Peter wants us to understand, God wants us to understand what God's plan for that building project is. Peter begins by saying that as believers, we are being built together into this living building. He writes in verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Peter says that the people who belong to Jesus are being built together into a kind of living building. A living building, maybe at first, sounds like it's something out of Doctor Who or some kind of weird sci-fi movie or something like that. You normally don't have living buildings. But the point is that the building that God is making is not like the temple that the people had made in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the people had made this beautifully ornate building. It was much sort of nicer than our building. Uh, Not that it's a bad building here, but it was uh, grand. It was this grand edifice. It was ornate. There was gold. There was carvings. There was fine fabrics. It was a beautiful building. But it was a building made up of dead things, dead trees that had been chopped down. Silver, gold dug out of the ground. Fabric, wool. Cut off a sheep's back. It was beautiful, but dead. But Peter says the Bible tells us that the building that God is building now is not a building made up of dead things. It's a building made up of living things. That is people. Real, live people like you and me. The church isn't a place of dead and lifeless stones, but of living stones. This church is not a church made up of plywood uh, and Calabond, and carpet squares, it's a building made up of people who belong to Jesus. We're a living building. And as a living building, we're not being built up into kind of separate little buildings. We're not, we're not being made into a village. I'm over there and you're over there. We're being made into one building that is connected together and that has a shared identity. I remember when I was young, I don't remember really, to be honest, that much from when I was a a kid, but I remember, have this vivid memory of when I was a kid, one of my older siblings teaching me how to build with Lego. Because when I got the Lego blocks out of the box and I tried to build like a little, you know, probably, probably, probably trying to build like a police station or something back in those days, but... I would just put the blocks one on top of each other, you know, and then next to that, I'd put the other blocks one on top of each other. And you could just, you know, you could just push the wall down in segments, right? Because nothing was connected together. And one of my older siblings had to come along and say, no, 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 what you've got to do is you've got to make them overlap. Like, ah, oh, that's the trick. But often we think of the church like that bad Lego technique here i am here you are all being built maybe maybe a little 
Some people being built together over here, others being built together over there, me being built together over there by myself. But like that Lego building, that has no integrity unless we're connected together, actually built together into one building. That's what it means to be the church. But actually, lots of people don't really want that. Lots of people really want uh, or might want God and sort of spirituality. People really love the idea of forgiveness. I mean, it's a wonderful idea, isn't it, to be forgiven by God for all the sins that we've ever committed, to be loved by God, to be a child of God, wonderful truths. But many people want that without being connected together into the building that God is making. I had a conversation exactly like that recently where someone told me that they just want to come to church, they want to hear the Bible taught uh, and then leave and go about their own thing. They want to be connected in. In fact, they even said that. I, I don't want to be connected in. Well, according to Peter, if you're a believer, you can't think like that. You wouldn't think like that. Because people who come to Jesus are being built into a building where they're connected together, a living building. In fact, being built together in that building is just a consequence of coming to Jesus. Peter says in verse 4 and 5, as you come to Jesus, you are being built into that spiritual house. You can't help it. If you come to Jesus, it just happens. People who have come to Jesus are not only being deeply connected in with him, but deeply connected in with all the other people that belong to him. That's, in fact, Jesus' mission, to do that to us, to build us together. The flip side of that is, of course, that it's only as we do come to Jesus that we will be built together into that building. So there's all kinds of other things, aren't there, that can occupy church life and our Christianity. All these things that we think are important, all these things that we think that we need to do, all these things that we put our time into. But Peter says, do you know, it's only as we come to Jesus that we're built together. It's only as we come to him, the stone that the builders rejected, that the building is built together. You, you and I, are, we can work all day, we can, uh, we can run all the things that we want to do, the, the elders, the ministry leaders can, can uh, do all that they want to do, but it won't accomplish anything unless the heart of our work is to keep coming to Jesus, to keep bringing each other to Jesus, to keep leaning on him and relying on him, seeking his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy and his strength. We need to keep coming to him. And as we do that, the building is being built. In fact, uh, Peter says that Jesus is so central to this building project of God that Jesus is the cornerstone of the building. Now, there should be a picture of a cornerstone, Luke. There you go. You can see it just down the bottom there. Uh, that's the cornerstone. In, in ancient times, that was the stone that they used to kind of set the whole alignment for the building. There was no laser levels and 
theodolites and other kind of surveying equipment and stuff like that. They just had a stone and a plumb line. And you would make sure that that stone was exactly the right uh, shape, exactly in square, and then from that you would uh, build out the rest of the building. Thanks, Luke. And Peter says that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the pattern, the stone from which the whole rest of the building gets its alignment. He sets the pattern for us. Although he was the eternal son of God, he took on our human nature. He destroyed sin and death. He rose to life. He lived for his father. And in doing that, he established in himself the court, as, as the cornerstone, the, the, the pattern for our humanity. And as we come to him, God is shaping us into alignment with him. Shaping us into alignment with Jesus. Not, remember, as individual stones, but as a building being built together. If you come to Jesus, then God is, is and will be shaping you into the image of Jesus. On the other hand, Peter says, if you reject him, and he says lots of people have done that. It's as the capstone, the, the, the cornerstone of the building, but people have rejected it. People have stumbled over Jesus. If you reject Jesus, you'll be destroyed. You won't just kind of miss out on being part of the building, but in the story of the Bible, in the story of humanity, you'll be condemned by God. If you reject Jesus, there's no place in that building. But if you come to him with empty hands and trust in him, then God takes you, reshapes you, and puts you into that building. A glorious building and a living building. So that's what Peter says. He, he tells us, he wants us to understand this idea. If we reject Jesus... We have no place with God, but if we come to him, we're being lined up with him and shaped by him into this living building. But then in the rest of the passage, he goes on to talk about what that means. What's the purpose of that living building? Uh, Peter gives us two metaphors then to understand what the purpose of being built together like this really is. First, he says, it's so that we can be the temple of God. That's the first thing, so that we can be the temple of God. The second thing is so that we can be priests. It's a bit weird. We're not only a building, we're actually priests as well. We're people and a building. Uh, but they're the two things, and they're the two things that we're going to spend the rest of our time thinking about this morning. So the first thing that Peter says is uh, that this building is a temple. We're being built together in order to be a temple of the living God. Now, if you think about it, it's important to know what a building is for. So if you build a building to be used as like a, a woodwork room or something like that, or a machining room or something, then you don't go and use it for basketball. The ceiling's probably going to be too low, maybe. Uh, it's not going to be laid out in the right way. Probably not going to have the, great, uh, the greatest floor for playing basketball. You've got to know what the building's for. If you, you don't take a house and turn it into like a... Uh, Super, into a supermarket or like a shopping mall. Be a bit pokey, for starters. You've got to know what the building was intended for in order to know how 
it is to be used. And it's the same with God's living building. We need to know why God is building it in order that we can understand how to use it and to live within it. So what's the purpose then of this temple, this living building that God is building through those who come to Jesus? Well, in the Old Testament, the temple was really the place where God lived among his people. Uh, The temple was a kind of palace for God. It was kind of made, in some ways, to look a bit like the palaces that kings had. The temple was the king's palace in the midst of the people. And God had kind of said that uh, although he wasn't constrained to that building, God is greater than the heavens, he's not constrained to that building, the temple, God had said, nevertheless, he would be with his people there in a special way. The people could go there because that was a place that he designated for this purpose. The people could go there and meet with God. And God says to us here in 1 Peter that just like that temple in the land of Israel, just like that was a special place where people could go and meet with God, now those of us who come to God through Jesus Now we are that special place. We're the place, we're the building where we can meet with God and where God meets with us. God is in us. Jesus says to his disciples in um, in the end of John's Gospel that he and the Father will come and make their home in the disciples through the Spirit. And so wherever we are, God is there. We're the, the place where we meet with God. You don't have to go to a special place. You don't, have to, you don't even have to leave your house. But we are the place where God meets with us. And that's obviously a wonderful truth, isn't it? It's wonderful to know that God is with us wherever we are. But that truth has special significance for the people that Peter is writing to. It has special significance for them and also for us because the people that Peter was writing to were people in exile. That is, they were people who had been excluded from that special place that God had put his name to. God had said, let's build a temple in Jerusalem. That's a place where you can meet with me. But then because of the sin of the people, they'd been exiled into into, into land, this is the, in the Old Testament, they'd been exiled into the land, uh, far away, and, they'd, and they were far away from God. And, and Peter says at the beginning of the book, that's a bit what it's like for you. you you're, you're, kind of, you're far away from God. God is in heaven. You're scattered about the earth. But don't worry. God is still with you in your midst. In the Old Testament, actually, when the people were in exile, In the book of Ezekiel, God abandoned the temple. First he drove the people out of Israel and then God abandoned the temple. The people are so corrupt that God has to leave the temple. But even though he leaves the temple, he doesn't actually leave his people completely. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel has a vision of God. It's a crazy vision. But the point of the vision is that God is actually there with Ezekiel in the exile. He's there with the people. The presence of God comes down to meet with God's people in the exile. God isn't in the temple anymore. He's abandoned the temple. 
that he hasn't abandoned the people. God is with them. They were living in a foreign land. They were living under governments that opposed God. Governments, in some cases, that demanded that they bow down to idols or not pray to God. They were far from home. They were far from their inheritance that God had promised them. And many times, undoubtedly, they felt afraid, alone, and not sure what to do. But God was present with them. And Peter says, we too are in a kind of exile. We're far from home. We're far from our eternal home with God. We're living in a foreign land. We're living under governments and among people who oppose God. Some people hate God. Some people will do everything they can to oppose God. Sometimes people will do everything they can to oppose us because of that as well. Sometimes we feel alone, maybe, or overwhelmed. Sometimes maybe we just long to be home. Sometimes we might wonder how much longer it will be before the Lord comes to gather his people, to take us in his arms, to wipe away every tear to do away with sickness and pain and death. We're in exile. We're strangers in a foreign land. But Peter says, we're not alone. Wherever we are, God is there with us. He's meeting us. He's comforting us. He's strengthening us. And that's not just a nice little plaque to hang on the wall. God is with me. It's a true truth. If you've come to Jesus, then God lives inside of you. He lives in us together as a church. As you sit here, God is with you. If you sit here and you feel alone, a million things running through your head, God is with you. And he knows. And as you get up to leave from here and you get into the car and you drive home, God will be with you there as well. Even if you drive home in the car alone. Or even if the car is full and you feel desperately alone. And when you get home and the house is empty, God will be there too. When you sit in the lunchroom at work and no one else there is a believer and they're talking about things that you don't really want to know about or hear about or maybe they're ripping into you because they know that you're a Christian Peter says you're not alone there God is with you he's meeting you there when you're at the family gathering and no one else has any time for God God is with you 
when you're hauled before the courts, maybe, or you lose your job for taking a stand on a Christian issue, a stand of faithfulness to God, when you lose everything, maybe, because of that. Wherever you are, God is with you. And as you lie in the hospital bed and you face the long, slow, cold march of death and at the end of the day the visiting hours are over and you're left there on your own, God is there with you. Peter says we're not alone. We might be in exile. We might be foreigners in a strange land, but God is with us. He's in us. He meets us everywhere we are. That's the first thing. Peter says we're a building. Why is that important? Because although we're in exile, God is here. The second thing he says is you're not just a building, you're not just a temple, you're also a priesthood. Verse 5, we're being built into this living house, this, this spiritual building, in order that we might be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the purpose, so that we can offer spiritual sacrifices to God. The purpose of God being with us everywhere as a temple is so that wherever we are, we can serve him. The temple was the place where the priests went to serve God. They had this responsibility, this special responsibility to serve before God. They had a special access to God, special access to some of the places in the temple. And they do their special tasks day after day, but they were never meant as a replacement for everyone else. The whole nation was supposed to be a kingdom of priests to serve God. And the priests and the temple were all supposed to be a reminder of that. And Peter says, now that's come to reality. Now all of us who come to God through Jesus, now all of us are priests. We've been set apart from God. We've been anointed. That is, set apart for this purpose of serving God with our whole lives. What does that mean? What are we supposed to do if we're priests? Well, Peter lists a number of tasks that we're to undertake. First, he says in verse 5, we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Those spiritual sacrifices are not like a one-off thing that you do every day. You sort of get up in the morning, you think, crumbs, I better offer my spiritual sacrifice before I go to work. Uh, just get that out of the way. Or you get home late at night, you think, oh, I've forgotten the spiritual sacrifice for the day. I better just knock that off before I get into bed. Uh, Our whole lives are to be spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean? Well, a sacrifice by definition is costly, isn't it? And so too, our priestly service to God ought to be costly. Often we want our service to God not to be costly. We want to bring maybe the least or the cheapest sacrifice that we can get away with. We want a kind of a low effort sacrifice, which 
actually isn't really a sacrifice at all. But God calls us, in fact, God is shaping us as we come to Jesus into people who bring costly sacrifices. Maybe in the past, you used to bring those cheap sacrifices. You used to just think, oh, what's the least that I can get away with? Well, I'm on the coffee roster. That's something. You know, I read the Bible this morning. Great. Give me away a bit of money. And I prayed for my neighbour. Now, what's the least that I can do? And Peter says, no, actually, we're being built into this living building where God is with us all the time. Why is that? So that all the time we can make costly sacrifices. Well, it's going to hurt. But it's also going to bring us great joy. Like the husband or the wife who delights to give themselves up for their spouse. That's a sacrifice. It's a daily sacrifice. Hour by hour. But rightly, it's also a deep joy. As priests, serving God everywhere we are, we're bringing these costly sacrifices to him. But second, the Holy Spirit says in verse 9, this, he says, This is well, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, for what purpose? God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. One of the key functions of being a priest, Peter says, is to declare the praises of God. To declare the salvation that God has wrought in Jesus, that God has achieved in Jesus. God has called us out of darkness into light. I went to walk to the letterbox the other night. It was pitch black. Couldn't see anything. I thought, goodness, I have no idea what's on the driveway in front of me. This could end in tears. That's what it was like apart from God. We were in darkness. No idea where we were going, what was around us, what fate lay ahead of us. But God has brought us out of darkness into the light of the gospel. We couldn't see. We, we were without hope, but now we have a hope. God has shone the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ into our hearts. Once, Peter says, you were not a people. You had no identity. You were these random people scattered throughout the world that nobody cared about. But now you're a people. You're the people of God, adopted into God's family, scattered throughout the world, but belonging to God. Once you hadn't received mercy, once you stood under the righteous anger of God, once you stood under the judgment of God, the prospect of eternal damnation, rightly deserved, once you hadn't received mercy, but now, Peter says, you have received mercy, You've been forgiven. Your sin's been cast into the depths of the sea. That's what God has done for those who come to him through Jesus. And the purpose of being a priest is to declare that. To declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvellous light. We declare it in praise to God 
As we sing songs, as we thank God, as we praise him in our daily life, we declare it to each other, as we remind each other, don't forget. Don't lose sight. And we declare it in praise as we speak the truth in evangelism. I don't know about you, but so often I find that I don't do that. I don't declare what God has done. Declare the praise of God. Talk about the weather. Talk about the sport. Talk about the news. Talk about the political problems in the world. Talk about COVID. But I don't declare the praises of God to God or to my fellow Christians, or to the world, anywhere near as much, I think, as I ought. And maybe you're the same. What do we do? I guess the first thing that we can do is to recognise it. To recognise that the purpose of God building us into a building where he is with us all the time is so that we would declare his praises all the time. We can recognize it and then we can confess it to God and say, Lord, that's not my priestly sacrifice. We can trust in the cross and then we can ask God that he will put his praises on our lips. God has purposed us to declare his praises to him, to each other, and to the world. We may be in exile in a strange land, but our purpose, the reason that God has set us apart and is building us into a spiritual building is so that wherever we are, God is with us, and wherever we are, we can serve God in costly ways, and wherever we are, we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of the gospel. Lord, that once we lived in darkness, blind to you, to the truth of the world, ourselves of who you are we lived in darkness plunged into ignorance enslaved to death rightly under your just judgment and destined for hell but lord we thank you that for those of us who have come to jesus you have brought us out of that darkness into your marvellous light. You've shown us the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. And as we fix our eyes on him day after day, we're being transformed with ever-increasing glory into his image. Lord, we thank you so much that as we come to Jesus, you're building us, shaping us into his image to be like him. And not to be like him just off on our own, in our own little place, doing our own little thing. 
about being shaped and connected with Jesus and with all his people and with each other. Lord, we want to confess that we don't always realize that, we don't always live like that. Lord, sometimes we just want salvation for ourselves without anyone else to make our lives difficult. Father, we pray you'd forgive us for that. Forgive us for despising your gospel-building project, uh, which is a people, a family, a gathering, a church. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in the light of that reality. As we sit here, we would know that you are with us. As we drive home, we would know that you are with us. As we, as we sit at home and do our things this week, as we sit in the workplace, in the office, the job site, as we lie in a hospital bed, we, help, we pray that you would help us to know that you're with us. And we pray that you would help us to serve you in costly ways, out of a deep and abiding love, and to declare your praises. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.